Good to see everybody back tonight. We have a really good crowd, and I'm just going to say the singing is actually wonderful. I really, really enjoyed that. Some good songs and good singing. If you would, take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 is where our first passage will come from this evening. If you don't have a Bible out, you might as well get one because we're going to be reading a lot tonight. And we're going to be talking about the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a picture up here of an empty grave. It is almost surely very, very similar to the grave that Jesus was laid in. And that grave is empty in that picture. The grave of Jesus is empty. Even to this day, it remains empty. And we said this morning that that empty grave of Jesus for serious-minded people demands an explanation. Somebody needs to explain what happened, where Jesus is, and why his grave is empty when they killed him and they buried him and they rolled that stone and closed that grave up before. And tonight we're here to say, you know, somebody does have an answer to that. God's people have an answer to that. The followers of Jesus Christ, us as his disciples, we have an explanation as to why that grave is empty. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to give the story of the resurrection of Jesus as we find it in God's word. So we're going to get right into that because there's a lot there. The first point I would make to you is that we should not be surprised that his grave was empty. We should not be surprised that he was raised from the dead because he told us that, that was going to happen. He told his disciples that that was what was going to happen pretty good while before those events ever took place. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38, says, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. If you're who you are, do something to prove it to us. Now, the reality is he'd already been doing that. He had already given sign after sign after sign, miracles and wonders, to prove that what he was saying was actually true about himself. But they had to have another sign. So now he says to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. I want you to understand, Jesus is not saying here signs are bad. He's not saying that if somebody comes to you and tells you God said something, has got a message for you, it's not wrong for you to say, okay, well, do a miracle for me then. That's what people who had messages from God were able to do. Do a miracle and prove to me that what you're saying actually came from God. He's not saying they're evil and adulterous because of that. He's saying you're evil and adulterous because I've been giving you signs and you won't listen to the signs that I've already given you. But I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one crowning sign that should finish the question for you. And if you won't listen to that sign, then you're going to have big problems. So what was the crowning sign that Jesus was going to give? Verse 40. Or excuse me, it says, And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
We all know the story of Jonah swallowed by the big fish, three days and three nights, and then the big fish spit him back out. He spent three days and three nights. Jesus, in talking about his burial, says he would be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And he, he was killed, he was buried. So, so what stands out differently? Anybody else that I've ever known that died, they spend three days and three nights in the earth's belly, don't they? And then they spend a fourth night, and then they spend a fifth night, and so on. The point Jesus is making is just like Jonah only spent three days and three nights in the well of the belly, uh, belly of the whale, I am only going to spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth and then I will come forth. He is predicting his own resurrection here. Look in chapter 16. In chapter 16, there in verse 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Look in verses, uh, chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 9. And his disciples, excuse me, this is still in Matthew. Okay, verse 9. It says, that as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So as you read these passages, he is repeatedly telling them that he's going to be raised from the dead. Look in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, there in verses 9 and 10, it says, And as they came down the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. Now listen to verse 10. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning with one another what the rising from the dead should mean. Okay, so they would be just like us. To talk about somebody being raised from the dead, that would be incredulous to us, right? So here, he's telling them now, after this, this event that's taking place, don't tell anybody about it until I'm raised from the dead. And they have a discussion, apart from them, they have a discussion, like, what is he talking about? What, what did he say? Did he say he's going to be raised from the dead? What, what is it? Is there like some spiritual metaphoric meaning to being raised from the dead? Surely he's not talking about actually being raised from the dead. Just imagine the discussion that they because it said today they wondered among themselves. What is he talking about when he talks about being raised from the dead? Okay, look back in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, there in verse 17 beginning, he says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and the third day shall he rise again. So again, he's telling them this repeatedly. Look in another one. Look in Luke chapter 18. 
In Luke chapter 18, they're beginning in verse 31. It says, Then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully treated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And verse 34 says, And they understood none of these things. And it says that this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Now, he's telling them repeatedly, we've already, I'm going to be raised on the third day. They, another passage told us they tried to figure out, what's he mean by that? He's not talking about actually coming back alive, surely. What's he mean by that? Here's another time he tells them what's going to happen, and they don't understand it. Do they not understand the language? I mean, do they not, can he not communicate with them? That's not the answer. The answer is they couldn't figure out what he was talking about. It, it, and, and when we talk about the witnesses tomorrow night, this is going to be an important point that we're going to bring out. They were not expecting him to actually be raised from the dead. They were trying to figure out what he was really talking about besides that literal meaning of the words. And they just couldn't get it until it happened. Look at one more passage on that. Look in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. In verse 18, it says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and thou shalt rear it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And in verse 22 it says, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus has said. So Jesus prophesied that he would be raised from the dead after he was killed. And when it finally happened, they finally accepted that <laughs> that really is what he was talking about. And it really did happen. Now, all four of the Gospels record the story of Jesus' death and Jesus being buried and Jesus being raised from the dead. So we'll talk first about him being killed. In all four Gospels, there's an account of that. We'll read one out of Matthew and one out of John tonight. But I encourage you to go back and read Mark and Luke's account of that also. So go to Matthew chapter 27, and obviously there's a lot we could read. We're not going to read all of it. But Matthew chapter 27, <clears throat> the point is Jesus was killed. The point is going to be that Jesus died. They actually killed him. In Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 27, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, 
and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a thorn of crowns, they put that on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they smote or beat him on the head with that reed. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to, to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. And they parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled that which is spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. They sat down and watched him on the cross to see what would happen. And they set up over his head, his, this, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, oh, Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save thyself. If you be the Son of God, come down from the, from the cross. And likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Okay, go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on, put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Skip over to verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture did they cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he saith to the disciples, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. And after this... Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, 
And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high Sabbath day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. And so we know from professional killers, the Roman soldiers, executioners, that Jesus was crucified and he died upon that cross. And then they buried him, just, just like nowadays. They took Jesus and they buried him. We have the accounts of that also. Look in John chapter 19, beginning with verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and they wound it in linen, clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. And there laid they Jesus, therefore, for because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was near at hand. Okay? Look in Matthew 27 again. Matthew chapter 27. There beginning in verse 57. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Okay, now, later on, it's going to be important for you to, to see what that last verse said. When they were burying Jesus, it wasn't just Joseph, and it wasn't just Nicodemus doing it. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of Cleophas, they were sitting off in the distance watching the burial of Jesus. They watched, they sat there and watched Jesus be buried. 
and that stone be rolled over the front of the tomb. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 42. And now when the evening was come, because it was a preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled. Pilate was surprised. He marveled if he were already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it, in other words, when he knew the centurion told him, yeah, he's been dead for a while. When he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And again, we're told, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Okay, one more, and that is in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 50. Same thing, same man. Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor and a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of that he was, didn't go along with him having Jesus killed, but he couldn't stop it. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also waited himself, waited for the kingdom of God. This went, man went into Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn of stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was a preparation day, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and beheld the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. Okay? So, we are told that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. There were several of the disciples, Joseph, Nicodemus, that once he had died, they went to Pilate, and they asked for the body of Jesus. They wanted to show respect to him, just as a loved one, to bury him properly. And so Pilate gave the body, allowed Joseph of Arimathea to take the body, took him to a brand new tomb, and they prepared his body in the tradition of the Jewish burials, and they laid him on the bench in that tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And then that great stone was rolled over the face of the tomb to seal it. If you do a little study, most of them will tell you that the normal stone weighed about five to 600 pounds. It was no rock, it was a huge stone. And it was designed to where there would be usually a, a little dip cut out right in front where they could, they, once they rolled the stone, when it got right, it would just drop right down in where it was to lay. And then they would seal it with mud or pitch or whatever to where it was locked in. That stone was, was a very big, heavy thing, and it would be very hard to undo what they had done. Okay? And Jesus lay there. And Jesus was dead. And Jesus was buried. We read that in verse 56 that these women returned back home 
to prepare spices and ointments, and they rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And now the story continues. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, come under the, they came under the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you that? Listen to it. Remember how he spake unto you when he was with you yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And then they remembered the words of Jesus. Look in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. In the end of the Sabbath, that is, it began to dawn before the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I don't know, sometimes things are kind of humorous to me. Can you imagine these ladies walking up there expected to see and, and the stones rolled back and there's an angel sitting on top of that stone. <laughs> just, just hanging out, waiting for him to get there. And this is what they find. and They don't really know what's going on. It says in verse 3, his countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became his dead man. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's not here anymore. Why? For he is risen. And he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Just look. He's not in here anymore. He's been raised from the dead. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. You can also read the accounts in Luke and John. Basically the same story. And when you put them all together, it's very interesting about the angel and, and the things that happened there. But they came to the grave and they found the grave empty. And they didn't know what had happened. And the angel of God gave them the explanation. Jesus is no longer here because he's no longer dead. He is alive. He has been raised from the dead and he has He's left this place. The grave is empty. Listen, that is our explanation of the empty grave. Just as Jesus promised long before it ever happened, he went to Jerusalem, the Jews got the Romans to kill him, 
They crucified him. He died on the cross of Calvary. Everybody there agreed he died on the cross of Calvary. And they buried him in a sealed tomb. And Sunday morning, the rock was rolled away. The tomb was empty. And it's very interesting, the account of John says that Peter comes run, John and Peter come running to the grave. And John's, John says, well, I was kind of ahead of Peter, but when I got there, I looked and I stopped. Peter came running by me and ran right on in the tomb there to look around. And it says that Peter saw the linen scattered around. And then there's a little detail. I want you to go back and read for yourself. And I want you to think about even why this detail is in the Bible. It says that Peter ran into the tomb and he saw the linens, basically the way the word is kind of piled up over there. And then it says he saw the napkin, the napkin that had been laid over Jesus' face. And it says that the napkin was wrapped there. In other words, it was folded up and just laid there. Now, if you ever want to talk about real life and just picturing what somebody would do, even the Son of God as a person. Remember, he had all these linens. He had a hundred pounds of spices wrapped in the layers of that. And he's getting all that off of him, and it's just going everywhere. But he's got this little napkin on his face, and he takes it, and he just kind of folds it up and sets it to the side. Is that real life, or is that not real life? And that detail is in the Bible, and I believe it's there to help us see that this is a real thing that happened. This is what a real person would do. He wasn't there anymore because he came back to life. He was dead and then he was alive again. He was raised from the dead. That's why he didn't stay in the grave. That's why his grave was empty then. And that's why his grave is empty now. He is alive even to this day. Okay? Now, turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I don't know about you, but growing up and hearing a lot of sermons about the crucifixion of Jesus kind of stops there, and then we go to Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, right? And we have the, the sermon of Peter and the first gospel sermon preached, and a lot of people are baptized. And for a while, sometimes we don't think about, well, what, what about in between there? Okay? Remember, the Passover happened, and then Pentecost was 50 days later. Four weeks, was that seven weeks? No, nine weeks. Seven, okay. Seven weeks. <laughs> seven, 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 four, nine. Okay. Seven weeks and one day. It's 50 days left. I'm from Texas. I can't multiply. Okay, anyway, whatever. <coughs> Give me a break. We are seven weeks and one day. That's 50 days between the resurrection day and, uh, the, the, and, and, and the day of Pentecost. What happened in those 50 days? Actually, a lot of things happened in those 50 days. Because what Jesus was doing was preparing for the coming of the kingdom. He was preparing his disciples. And, and remember we said the one thing he needed was witnesses. 
What he was doing mainly in those 50 days is creating witnesses of his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, that's when he ascended to heaven, after that through the Holy Ghost he had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, or after he had been crucified, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Okay, for forty of those fifty days, Jesus was appearing to disciples. He was creating witnesses out of those disciples. People who were able to say, yes, Jesus died but I saw him alive after he was dead. I saw that with my own eyes. It's not a story. I am an eyewitness that he's still alive now. And notice that it says here that he, he did that by many infallible proofs. Don't run over that phrase. We've already noticed several passages where the disciples doubted that that's what really Je Jesus really meant what he was talking about. And we know about doubting Thomas, right? Even after that, he's being told that Thomas didn't believe that. And what he's saying here is these are infallible proofs. These were people that by the time Jesus got through with those 40 days, there was absolutely no doubt in their mind at all. They had seen a risen, resurrected, come back to life, Jesus Christ infallible proofs not to be doubted anymore. And we have a record of those appearances. If you want to write some of these down in Matthew chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, we read about Mary and Mary when they came back to the cross on Sunday morning, or to the tomb on Sunday morning and found him gone. Jesus appeared to them. He's telling them, you, you go tell the disciples, I've been raised. You read in Luke 24, beginning with verse 13, about two travelers outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus had a pretty good long conversation with them, and they, couldn't, they didn't know who he was until Jesus finally revealed himself to them. In Luke 24, verses 33 through 34, you find that he appeared to Peter. Peter came to the rest of the disciples. He's alive. He's been raised from the dead. In John 20, where you have the story of Thomas and, and, and doubting Thomas, the verses before that, you read where Jesus appeared. Remember, there were just 11 apostles at that time. Judas was gone. And 10 of them were together, and Thomas wasn't there. He appeared to the 10, revealed himself to them, and, and then they tell Thomas, after Jesus had gone, Thomas says, no, no way. He said, I'm not going to believe I won't believe that until I'm able to put my fingers through the hands on his, in, in his side and through the holes in his hands. And shortly after that, the all, 11 of, all 11 of them are together. Thomas is now with them. And Jesus comes back and appears to them again. And that's the one where Jesus says, Thomas, you shouldn't have doubted. You shouldn't have doubted. 
Here it is. This is what you demanded. But you're going to believe because you, can't, because you get to see me. And then he makes a statement that I think we need to think about because it's talking about us. He says, blessed are those who don't get, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, blessed are those who don't get to see like you demanded, but they still believe in me. That would be me, and that would be you, based on the witness that we have in God's Word. In John 21, you read seven disciples were out fishing. Jesus appeared to them. They brought in some fish. He actually cooked some fish and ate with them, like a real person, because he was a resurrected, a real person. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and I would encourage you to go back and read those accounts of Jesus appearing to these people. This was real work that he was doing to prepare for the kingdom. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 15, there in verse 3 beginning, Paul says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, now how that Christ was died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay, well, I wasn't there. I don't know that. How do I, how do I believe in that? And that He was seen. There are people who can tell us they saw Him. He was seen of Cephas. That's Peter. And then of the 12 apostles, after that he was seen of, a, of above 500 brethren at once. I don't know when that was. But I know sometime during those 40 days, there was more than 500 disciples together and Jesus appeared to them. And they saw the risen Christ and they knew that it was him. He says, of whom the greater part remain, they're still alive even into the present. And when Paul was writing this, he said, a lot, most of those people are still alive. You can go ask them if you don't believe me. He says, but some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James. Then of all the apostles, and as we looked at this morning, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Remember we read about Paul this morning where God, where Jesus speaks to Paul on the way to Damascus. He says, you are to be my witness. And we read where the Lord appeared to him, where he could see him, and he spoke to him. Because that's what had to be for Paul to be an eyewitness. He had to see him with his own eyes. Okay? Then shortly before the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 that Jesus ascends back to heaven. So go with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 9. He says, when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Okay? So in his earthly time, he says, They're going to kill me, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. They kill him. They bury him. He is raised from the dead. 
He spends 40 days making appearances to disciples so they will be able to say after he's gone, I'm an eyewitness. I'm telling you, he was raised from the dead. I saw that with my own eyes. And then as far as the attention of people on the earth, the apostles, he goes up into the clouds and disappears. Where'd he go? Where did he go? Where is he? Turn over to Daniel chapter 7. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. I want you to get that and then hold your hand there. We're going to skip back and forth just a little bit between Daniel 7 and a couple other verses. Okay. In Daniel chapter 7, you have some of the visions of Daniel. Some of them are messianic visions. In Daniel chapter 7, in verse 13, he begins to tell us about one of those visions. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. In Acts chapter 1, you have recorded the ascension of Jesus. But you have it from the earthly viewpoint. You have it from what people on earth saw was going on. We don't get to see beyond the clouds when he disappeared, except through the scriptures. We can. In, in Daniel chapter 7, you have the view from heaven of the same event. We read what the people saw. Now we're going to read what heaven sees when Jesus ascends. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Jesus went back to heaven where he came from. Now you see, he comes to the ancient, that's the Father. He goes back to heaven where he came from, where the Father is. Now look, hold your hand there. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're just going to pick up in the middle of a, a long sentence here, verse 19. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power usward to, to usward who believe, according to the work of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places? He comes to the Ancient of Days, the Father, and the Father sets him at his right hand. You remember the story of Stephen being stoned in Acts chapter 7 and verses 55 and 56. He says, I see the heavens open and I see what? I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Jesus went back to heaven and he was put at the right hand of God. It is a position of power. It's a position of authority. It's the position and throne of a king. Continue reading Ephesians 1. He set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world has come, and hath put all things under his feet, and made him to be head over all things to the church. Listen, 
If there's ever a verse that tells you you can't mess with God's word and you don't get to change the church like denominations do and like some of our own brethren have done, you don't get to do that. They have no power. They have no authority to do that. Jesus is the head of the church. Nobody else. It is his church not ours. We just get to be a part of his church. And what that means is he gets to say the way things are going to be. How we're going to save people, the plan of salvation, how he, we're going to do for them, for him to save them. What our worship is going to be like. What our organization of the church is going to be like. And any change of that challenges his dominion. It challenges his power, his authority. We don't get to do that and still be right with God. Okay? He ascended to heaven. God set him in his right hand, gave him power and dominion, set him over everything. Go back to Daniel chapter 7, because it says the same thing. Again, beginning with verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And here's what the Father did. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language should serve him. That means listen to him. Do what he wants us to do. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That's his authority, his power. It is everlasting. It shall not pass away. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. There the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus. He says, beginning in verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate. The potentate there is not a word we use very much. Now, there's a denomination that uses that word for their leader. But we just don't use that. It means the guy who's got the power. The one who's over everything. Jesus is the blessed and only potentate for the kingdom of God. And then it says, the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus was sat at the right hand of God on the throne of David. He rules there as the blessed and only potentate, as the king of all kings and the Lord over all lords. That's why that grave is empty. And he's my king and my, your king and my Lord and your Lord. My Savior and your Savior. That's our answer as to why that grave is empty. And there are people you're going to meet who are going to laugh at you and say, well, that's not much of an answer. That's a myth. That's a made-up story. That's a fantasy. 
And I sure hope you'll look at it close enough that you will be able to stand up and contend for the faith and tell them, oh no, it is a true story. And there's way more evidence than we need to believe that it is a true story. Okay, one more verse. Look in Matthew chapter 22. I want you to remember this one, okay? You're going to run into people that don't believe this, and they're going to laugh at you for believing it. <laughs> people, dead people coming back to life? I mean, come on, man, that doesn't happen. And they think you're kind of silly for believing something like that. Jesus met some people like that. Jesus met some people who didn't believe that dead people could come back to life. And here's what he said to them. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. He says, ye do err. You're wrong. You're messing up. For two reasons you're making a mistake. Number one, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures. And number two, you don't know the power of God. You don't know what God said he could do, would do, and you don't know what God can do. You don't understand either one of those. That's why you don't believe. But listen, after tonight, we all know scriptures, don't we? We know the story. We know what God said he would do. We know what the witnesses said happened. And we know the power of God. God can do anything. God can do anything He wants to do. And He did. And there is all the proof you ever need to believe that Jesus' grave is empty because He came back to life. He was raised from the dead. Okay? Now tomorrow night, we're going to Talk about witnesses. You know, are they believable? Is there, I mean, can we count on them that they told us the truth? And we'll pick up there tomorrow night. Now, if you're here this morning or this evening and your life is not right with God, I hope you'll think very seriously. There is so much meaning and, and consequence to the fact that Jesus came back to life. I mean, Maybe you've just been rocking along, living life, not really paying attention to religion and things like that, and you know, just kind of half-heartedly. You need to get wholehearted with it. I mean, after all, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, you really ought to pay attention to that, and, and me too. We all ought to. And you would begin by figuring out what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. He, if he came back to life, he's worth following. He is our King, and He is our Lord. He's the one who tells, He's the one who made us a way to heaven, and He tells us what the way is. And what He said was, He that believes and is baptized, I'll save that person. I will bring them forgiveness of sins. And if you need that, we can help you get it. Come and let us know. Well, together we stand and while we sing.